and to know also that there's a good group that's online and joining us as we're able to meet together. And, and may the Lord just meet us in this place and meet us in our hearts as we study his word together. It's such a privilege to be called together and to be part of his family. We've, we're the last week of Jesus' life on this earth before the cross and the resurrection. Uh, the, the, the whole second half of the Gospel of John is about that last week, and that's where we're at. We're in the upper room. Think a little bit about how we got to the upper room. At the beginning of the week, there was what was called a triumphal entry. The disciples are still thinking, this man, Messiah, he's king of kings and lord of lords. And he's going to be our earthly king. And he's going to set us free from the Romans. And we can't wait for this to happen. And when they came in on the triumphal entry, they're going, the whole the whole earth is coming after him. It's going to happen. And then remember, they started arguing about, okay, it's happening. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be his right-hand man, his left-hand man? And then they get to the Passover meal, and the whole mood changes. And so here they are. It's the last time that Jesus is going to be able to share his heart with his disciples. Judas has already left. He's washed their feet. He's tried to explain to them, you, you don't understand the whole picture. I'm going to the cross. But I will be resurrected the third day. Right over their heads. They're not understanding. Now, he knows how troubled they are. Just a little bit of review, verses 16 through 18. Listen, he's talking to these dear disciples, 11 of them now. I'll pray the Father and he will give you another helper, another comforter, another one to be with you when I'm gone. That he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So in this chapter, Jesus has much to say about God the Holy Spirit. He's getting, preparing their hearts for the new times ahead. After he goes to the cross, after he's resurrected from the grave, he's trying to prepare them for what's ahead. They're still not understanding it's interesting, he's told them that he's leaving, but then immediately he tells them, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Leaving. Come. They're confused. There's a lot of discussion over what Christ means here. I will come to you. Literally, if you look at the original language, the idea is, I do, present tense, come to you. So I'm even in the process of making it possible to come to you, is what Jesus is telling them. It probably includes several things. Number one, 
He's going to come to them um, in, a, in the new transfigured, transformed body, the, his, his eternal body after the resurrection. After he comes from the grave, he's alive and, and he meets them and he talks with them and he eats with them. And Thomas, go ahead, put your finger here. See that it's really me and in my side. And Thomas, my Lord and my God. And there's those days that he will spend with them after the resurrection. And then he's talking about coming to them personally in the person of God, the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting we see in Romans 8 9 that God, the Holy Spirit, is called literally the Spirit of Christ. And he's already taught them that God the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will take directly from me. He'll be a direct connection to you. And whatever he hears from me, he will share with you. And they're just thinking all these things through. They, they, they don't get it yet. And finally, he's coming back. Maybe the rapture. Any day. He's coming back. He promised he wouldn't leave us or forsake us. So his focus right now is on the helper, on the God the Holy Spirit. The one who will be standing beside you, but also the one who will become within you in the days ahead. And another of the same kind, the helper literally means, and Jesus is saying, God the Spirit is God just as God the Son is God. God the Father is God. And they're taking all this in, and they're, and they're, they're wrestling with all these things. And, and in your notes, number one, the Spirit soon will be living within the disciples. They will, he will literally take the place of the Savior himself, physically walking beside the disciples. And that moves us into this whole section on God the Holy Spirit. Verses 19 through 24, we wrap this section up that Jesus has already started. Verse 19. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those and follow along in your Bible. Verse 19. A little while longer and the world world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. That's one of my favorite words from Jesus. Because I live, you will live also. Take hold of that. You see, we live by faith. We trust him. He said it. I believe it. That settles it. Because he's alive. I'm a a new creation in Christ Jesus, the old is gone. I've been set free. So have you. And that's what he's trying to get across to these guys. Because I live, you will live also. Verse 20. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That day, what day is that? Well, first of all, it's after the cross when he takes my sins 
our sins, the sins of mankind upon himself, and he becomes sin for us and sets us free. And then he is in the grave for three days, and then he conquers death, and he comes back alive. And that's the day after the resurrection. It's also in our day, this day that we're living in, the day following Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down upon and overwhelmed and filled to the brim the disciples, and they began to have the power to be witnesses for Jesus. And that's you and me. Let's look at this verse 20. It's a fabulous verse. Look at the end of verse 20, where Jesus says, You in me and I in you. I believe it's one of the most profound statements in the Gospel of John and maybe even in the whole Bible. They're simple words. A little child could understand them, and yet they're so profound that you'll never plumb the depths of the meaning of what Jesus just shared with us, with the disciples. In your notes, that word or phrase, you in me, notice that this is salvation. This is what it means to be saved. To be saved means to be in Christ. That's the picture that he's giving these guys. God sees everyone either as in Christ or out of Christ. You're either in him by faith, you've received what he's done for you, and you now have a personal relationship with the creator of the world and the one who loved you so much that he died for you on Calvary's cross. And you are now wrapped in his righteousness. Or, you're out of Christ and you're holding on to your old life and you're still carrying the sins around with you and trying to deal with those on your own. In his righteousness, you're either in Christ and a saint or you're not in Christ and you ain't. (laughs) It's that simple. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, to become our sin, to die in our place, to set us free, and then the free gift of his righteousness enveloping us. But there's the end of verse 20, you and me and I in you. Astounding. The I in you, number three on your notes. That's our sanctification, where we now live our lives through the resurrection power of Christ living in us, and we live by faith. That Christ makes life possible. Christian is living down here on this earth directly connected to the resurrection power of Christ living within them, God the Holy Spirit abodes in our hearts. We're the temple of the living God. 
Christ is living in you. Paul says, he puts it this way, I've been crucified with Christ. My old life, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And why would you do that, Paul? Because it's Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. And Jesus said, remember what he said, because I live, you live also. We live our lives through the resurrection of Christ, through his power pulsating within our, within our, within our lives. But there's even more revealed here in Christ's words to understand the full meaning of what Jesus is saying to, to these 11 men and to us who belong to him. You must look back to his explanation of what it means for him to be in us. Remember his relationship with the Father? Look back at John uh, chapter 14, verse 10 in your Bibles. He says, It's the Father who dwells in me that does the works. I in you, Christ living in you and in me, he is literally working miracles within our lives, changing us from the inside out, that our lives might touch others in a natural but supernatural way as we walk through this world following Jesus. It's also called in the scripture the baptism of the Holy Spirit to where you're just immersed, just overflowing of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5. They're there for us to, to grow and become more like Christ and our lives begin to splash out on others. The love of Christ begins to touch others' lives. That's why I can say, and I've said so many times, because Christ is in our hearts and lives, we're ministers. We're all ministers. We're there to minister the love of Christ. The Bible also calls this a walking in the Spirit. In Galatians it says, so if the Spirit is your life, then what are you waiting for? Walk in the Spirit. Just trust Him every moment of every day. It is walking in the love and fellowship of the Lord Jesus. And then Jesus has more to say about that as we look chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus goes on, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So the focus isn't so much on keep my commandments. The focus is on I'll show you the one that loves me. The one who's received my love and loves me back. Why, he's connected to me. He's walking with me. He's trusting me. And he listens to what I have to say. He's the one that loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. You want to get to know Jesus better? Fall in love with him. Oh, 
Oh, how He wants to know you more intimately. So Judas is listening to this. Let's well, not Iscariot. That guy's already gone. He's out. He's out plotting the way to to uh, Satan's plans for Jesus. This is another Judas. He says to him, "Wait a minute, Lord. I I, I don't understand what you're saying. Remember, they're struggling with this whole this whole events this last week." How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Well, we see in in Matthew 10.3 that this Judas is also called Thaddeus. So Thad had a question. So you're going to manifest yourself to us but not to the world. What was he saying? What was he thinking? Well, like all the other Jews who were looking for the Messiah... They were thinking, when the Messiah comes, he will be, have the power of the living God himself somehow, and he will be our king, and he will rescue us, and he will be our leader, our political leader on this earth, and we will defeat Rome, and we'll be set free. And then God will never leave us or forsake us, and we'll enter into a time when God will rule on earth with mankind. And the center of his rule will be Jerusalem. That's what they were thinking. That's what Judas was thinking here. Thad was thinking. He's wondering, so if you're Messiah, why would you limit the news to just us 11 Jews? The whole world is going to know you're Messiah, right? And he said, I don't understand what's happening, Jesus. He's still thinking, you have miraculous powers. We've seen them time after time. All you have to do is say to the wind, peace, be still. Walk on water. You feed us miraculously. Heal those who can't be healed by doctors. One thing after another. This is a small thing for you to do to be our king. We can't wait. That's what he's thinking. He doesn't understand. The world will see him. That's what I thought. But no. He's confused. Doesn't seem like Jesus is going to answer his question in in his response. But we'll get back to that. So Jesus responds to this confusion that Thad has. He's speaking for the rest of the disciples. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him will be at home individually personally with anyone who opens their heart to us God the Son God the Father God the Holy Spirit note number four what an incredible promise 
love and follow Jesus, and the Father God will make your heart his home. Amazing. But how was this an answer to that? Jesus is saying to him, here's the way that I will make myself known both to you and ultimately to the world. I will reach the world one heart at a time. The first hearts that I will reach the world through will be your hearts. You see, before Messiah reveals himself to the world as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he first must win the hearts of the world. And how will he do that? He will do that by going to the cross of Calvary. And not only winning our hearts, but changing our hearts from the inside out by demonstrating his love for us on the cross. 1 John 4, 9-10 through 10, and then verse 19. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his Son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. And we love him because he first loved us. So Jesus shares with that and the disciples this love relationship. And it can only come through the path to the cross, the resurrection, and then finally to each of us. Verse 24, He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear, well, it's not mine, but it's from the Father himself, the Father who sent me. And so Jesus is saying to this, these guys and to anyone, if, if you say you love me, but your words are not a part of my life, who are you kidding? It's a love relationship that I'm talking about. And I've told you I've got to go to the cross to make it possible. Oh, they're still confused. They're, they're, they're not able to put all this together yet. This final section in this chapter, verses 25 through 31, Jesus understands how they're struggling and he's going to talk about his gift of peace to them. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, while I'm still here. But the Helper, God the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. You see, so much of Jesus' words at this time, they're struggling, they're wrestling, he tells him, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be raised the third day. And these things are all happening, going over their heads. Peter's thinking, oh no, that's not the best way to do it. 
the other guys are thinking, oh no, you're to be our king, our, our, our leader, our Messiah, and to set us free right here, right now. They're, they're just wrestling with all these things. And it would be the Holy Spirit that would come, the Spirit of Christ, in their hearts and lives, the day of Pentecost that would be finalized, and he would lead them into all truth. It would be God breathing his word and his thoughts into their hearts. It would be the inspiration of the Bible that we have now. That's what Jesus is talking about. So when we have their writings, we have such a detailed record now because God the Holy Spirit has spoke to their hearts and they have written down and remembered all the things that Jesus said and Jesus did. Uh, number five on your notes. And this is something the Holy Spirit even does in our lives. He assists our memory with supernatural recall. At crucial moments, he brings vital truths back to mind. What's the important thing? To get God's word into your heart so God the Holy Spirit has something to work with. Okay? It's worth doing. He leads and guides just like he led and guided these disciples. Remember, they're bewildered, they're fearful, they're troubled. Jesus is carefully explaining all these things to them and they're going, huh? We don't get it. They're confused. On the other side of the cross and resurrection and they look back and they go, yeah, that's exactly what you're talking about. And when we look into the Old Testament, we see that everything you said, everything you did, the cross, the resurrection, coming again someday, it's all in the Scripture. We just couldn't see it yet. But right now, they're hurting. They're overwhelmed with grief. That's why Jesus next says to them, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The world, well, what the world calls peace is just merely kind of an absence of conflict for a while. Uh, someone has put it this way. Peace is the brief interval of time when armies reload. <laughs> But it's not peace. It's just a lack of conflict. But Jesus is talking about a peace that goes beyond comprehension. Number six on the notes. The peace of Jesus is so much more. It's inexplicable rest. There's a total clarity of spirit. There's nothing like it in this world. In this life, all our questions may not get answered, but if we have the peace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, that's enough. We're going to make it through. And Jesus goes on, verse 28, If you have heard me say, you have heard me say to you, 
I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's a plan that they put together before creation. And now it's happening. And guys, he's saying to them, you should be overjoyed. It's happening. And it's for you and it's out of our love for you. So, Jesus goes on. And now I've told you before it comes, verse 29, that when it does come to pass, it'll be your foundation. You'll, you'll believe with all your heart. Fulfilled prophecy, that's exactly what it does for us. It brings great comfort. It brings great support to our lives. We look in Scripture. God said it. It happened just the way he said it would. And it becomes our foundation. For these guys, after you know, Jesus had predicted the cross, the resurrection, and all the things, and on the other side of it, they look back, and they go, that's exactly what Jesus said. Wow. And that became their foundation. The word of Jesus became their foundation for life. The rock-solid foundation of his word and his promises. Jesus goes on. Verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Judas Iscariot is out making the way. And he's coming. But here's the promise that Jesus gave them. He has nothing in me. Think about what Jesus said to her. There is an amazing statement. Jesus declares Satan is absolutely no power and no influence over him in any way. Satan isn't pushing Jesus to the cross at all. Satan's not trapping Jesus in this trap through, through Judas. No, Jesus goes toward the cross out of love for humanity. In my notes, I, I just put a blank and I put my name in there. For Lee's sake, I'm going to the cross, Jesus said. You can put your name in there. For your sake, that's why I'm going to the cross. Because I love you so much. And I want to bear your sins so that you can be set free. I love you so much. You're why I came to this darkest hour. So Satan, the ruler of this world, he's at work moving all the forces to make this happen. He thinks the, the death on the cross for Jesus, that'll be my ultimate victory. In truth, the cross would be Jesus' final and complete victory over Satan. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Paul records the account of the triumph of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. What did he do? Well, 
First thing he did is he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. You'll live if you don't sin. I tried. I failed. And the blood of Jesus blotted out my sins. And I became victorious on the cross of Christ. It was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way. He's nailed my sins and your sins to the cross of Calvary. And at the same time, he disarmed the principalities and powers, Satan himself, and he made a public spectacle of him and them, and he triumphed over them on the cross of Calvary. What a glorious day that was. And then Paul talks about that day to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And he talks about the wisdom of God and he says, isn't it such a mystery? It's the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages and he did it for our glory. Now none of the rulers of this age knew Satan could not comprehend what God was doing. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they didn't get it. Satan just couldn't comprehend the majestic love of God and Jesus for his creation. It was in their heart, or God's heart, for it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And it all came through the gift of love on the cross of Calvary. Satan couldn't understand. Satan still cannot understand. Satan never will be able to grasp the love of Jesus Christ. Satan was completely and totally caught off guard through all of this. God's sacrificial plan of love. In Revelation 13.8, we even learned that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Satan just could not comprehend what love is. By the way, he still doesn't get it. And then... Jesus wraps up this teaching. This is the final words. When you come to the final words to share with the guys, it's probably the most important. 31, but that the world may know that I love the Father... And as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. What was the commandment? Simply this. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son into the world to bear our sins on the cross. That anyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was their plan. And here I am, 
And that's what I'm going to do. Rise, let us go from here. The final uh, number seven on your notes. That the world may know the love of God, the Father and the Son. That's why I'm going to the cross. Again, I'm going to read this section of Scripture from 1 John chapter 4. And Cody and Lexi, you can come on up. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. And oh, we love Him because He first loved us. So the final words in the upper room. Jesus says, Okay, you guys, arise. Here we go. Let's go from here. I'm going to the cross for you. Isn't that why we love him so much? Let's worship him. Stand with me. And just worship Him for the love that He had for you that day. So the guys don't really get what Jesus is saying. But one thing I know. Arise. Let's go from here. When he said that, I believe with all my heart that he saw you that moment. See, he's he's God. He's God in the flesh. Connected completely by the Spirit to eternity. And he saw you. And he said, Arise, let's go. We're headed for the cross, for you, for me. What an amazing Savior. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We are in you, wrapped in your righteousness. You are in us, changing our hearts and lives forever to become more like you, to make it through this world where we have these troubles and problems and circumstances that are beyond control, but because you are in us, we have the peace that passes all understanding, and we're going to make it through. We know your love, and that's enough. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Say hi to somebody before you head out the back door. Thanks for coming today.